Genesis 22, verse 1 to 19. Genesis 22, 1 to 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angels of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Mark, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Um, welcome again if you've just joined us since we started, and if you do have your Bibles open, do keep them open at Genesis 22, and it will help you to follow along. Uh, I'm going to suggest that all of us on this call will be facing our own trials. Uh, for some of us, it might be a really significant one, you know, a crossroad in life, a job switch, a decision on a relationship, or a decision on your children's education. And whatever the trial that you're facing, the question is this, will you obey God's voice? Well, for some of us, it might be simpler day-to-day -day trials, dealing with a hostile work environment 
or fear of what others think of you as a Christian, or really to give up serving others at church after being completely worn out. And whatever situation you're in, well, will you obey God's voice? Because often the difficulty isn't that we don't know what it means. Uh, We don't know what God wants from us, but we do know what God wants from us. He wants a life wholly obedient to him for the advancement of the gospel. That's his overriding desire. But more often than not, I think the difficulty is because we we fear the cost. We are fearful of the, the outcome of obedience to God will leave us unsatisfied. Or we are fearful that we might miss out on what this world has to offer. Or sometimes we are just fearful that he doesn't have our best interests at heart. And so in the face of all these challenges, what would motivate us to obey God's voice today? And so obedience is the focus of our time in our final study of the life of Abraham. Now we've been looking at the book of Genesis since August last year and Abraham's life since November last year. And today in our passage, Abraham is here to motivate us to obey God wholeheartedly. And it's not that Abraham is perfect. Um, I recall being in breakout groups with many of you, and many have shared that we, we resonate with Abraham's up and down experience. But yet each time, God is, is patient and gracious with him. Uh, he comes alongside Abraham. And so we can resonate uh, with Abraham. And Abraham, well, he has certainly faulted. Uh, if you remember in the previous chapters um, in his narrative, he, he doubts God and he sleeps with his maid servant. Or he gives up his wife, Sarah, to another man and he brings curses onto a city. But remember, each time, uh, God is, is patient. Instead of scolding Abraham, well, he makes covenants with him uh, to assure him of his promises. Patience and grace. I mean, something that's deeply lacking in our 21st century. But you see, Abraham's not only there to encourage us in his failings, he's also there to to encourage us with his progress. His up and down progress uh, is up and down, but nonetheless, it's trending upwards. You see, Abraham, he started out as a worshipper of other gods. But bit by bit, uh, he learns new things about God. Uh, Chapter 15, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Chapter 16, God, he cares for the nations. Chapter 18, God is the judge of all the earth. And chapter 21, God is the promise keeper. And today, uh, we reach the climax of the Abraham narrative. It's his ultimate test, a test to show whether he will respond in obedience. See, it's an occasion for him to, to put all that he has learned in the past about God into action. And so the aim for our time now is that we learn from Abraham and we go away with a resolve to wholeheartedly obey God's voice. And with that, let's look at his final test in our passage today. If you're following a handout, we are on point number one, the final test. Verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, 
your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Well, I wonder what's going through your mind as we, we hear those words. Uh, is God evil? Does he condone child sacrifices? Well, the, the Bible is crystal clear that God does not condone child sacrifices. See, over and over again, the law states and forbids child sacrifice. God, he labels it as an abomination. So the question is why? Why does, does God make this request? And the key word is right there in verse 1. Uh, this is a test. See, it's a test. It's, it's not a trap. It's a test for Abraham to prove where his loyalty lies, uh, to discover what's in his heart. It's an opportunity for him to show if he's wholly dedicated to God. And to put it very mildly, it's a very hard test. I mean, this is the son whom he has been waiting for for the past 25 years. The son whom he loves. But not only does this test put his son at risk, well, it also puts God's plan at risk. If you remember chapter 12, God promised to Abraham to bless the whole world through him and his offspring. Uh, Abraham, his offspring, the hope of the world. Do you see here God's own plan is being tested? And, and one might wonder what was racing through Abraham's mind, the the heart-in-your-mouth moment, the, the gut-wrenching pain, the sinking feeling as he hears those words. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Does God have my best interest at heart? Does he care for my son Isaac? Does he care about his promise to bless the nations? What will Abraham do? Or what will you do? Verse 3, Abraham's response. And notice how the pace of the narrative, it really slows down. So verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Again, that, that heart-in-your-mouth moment, that sinking feeling starts to churn as he, as he lifts his eyes and he sees that place from afar. Will I really have to, to offer up my own son? Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. See, notice here, Abraham, he doesn't even have the heart to call Isaac by name. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come again to you. Uh, it's a funny thing what Abraham is saying there, we will come again to you. Well, is, is Abraham telling a white lie to the young men? Or has he already decided not to sacrifice Isaac? Or is he confident that, well, somehow God will fulfill his promise? Well, as listeners, we are left wondering what is intended by Abraham's response as father and son head up the mountain. And for the third time, uh, Abraham, he experiences that sinking feeling again as Isaac raises his innocent voice and says, my father, 
Daddy, here am I, my son. We have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for a burnt offering? God himself, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide for himself the lamb. And so as we, we hear Abraham um, say those words, God will provide for himself the lamb. I, I think we are, we are given an insight into his mindset as, his fa- as he faces his final trial. Uh, firstly, you might notice that his words here are contrasted to Hagar's words last week in chapter 21. Uh, there are many reasons that our author wants us to compare and to contrast both characters. Uh, both Hagar and Abraham, they rose in the morning. Uh, both of their sons were on the brink of death, being, being killed by their parents. Uh, both sons were promised to have numerous descendants. And Hagar, I mean, she's been living with the blessed family. Uh, she saw Isaac's miraculous birth. And more than that, like, it wasn't her first time in the wilderness. If you remember back in chapter 16, where she has experienced God's care for her and her child. But yet in chapter 21, she is resigned to lose her son. Chapter 21, verse 16, uh, she says, let me not look on the death of the child. See, she has not learned from her past experience. But Abraham, uh, unlike Hagar, well, he is faced with a new trial his hardest one yet. And he has never experienced God providing a sacrifice for himself, but is still able to verbalize something that God will do in the future. So where does Abraham get confidence to to say those words? Well, he's learned that God cares much more about his promise to bless the nations than he does. Well, he's learned that God is not just any God, but the creator God, the life giver, the one who creates life out of nothing. And he witnessed himself life coming out of a dead womb from Sarah. He's learned that God is a giver, not a taker. Uh, He says to Abraham, I will give you a son by Sarah. And he did. And so even when Abraham has never experienced the need to rely on God for a sacrifice, He can lean on what he already knows about God in the past that enables him to say those prophetic words in anguish, but with a quiet confidence in God. God will provide for himself the lamb. You see, this is not a gullible or naive trust in God, but one that draws from past experience of how God acts. And and here's an encouragement for us to take his words on our lips. Um, There will be trials that we will face right now, presently, or also in the future, where we will not know how God will act in the future. But we can lean on what we've learned in the past to be confident about the future. So think back about various ways that you've experienced God in your life. Uh, Does that give give you courage to say those words? God will provide. Or or think about the lessons Abraham has been teaching us. God gives life from the dead. He cares for the nations. He has given us all that we have. And so even in the hardest trial, we can say with Abraham, God will provide. And the thing about Abraham is not only does he say God will provide, 
he also acts it out. I look down to verse 9. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And as readers, we, we close our eyes waiting for the moment to come. But verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. You see, Abraham's trust in God is not unfounded. Uh, the Lord promises a ram as a substitute for his son. And this proves Abraham's prophetic words. The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. And it's worth pausing for a moment to reflect on this. Uh, that shows that God is anti-religious. You see, religion is all about giving to get. Now, you give up something precious to get something in return. And that's what idolatry is, now you give to get. But that's also what the corporate world is, now you give to get, and it will keep taking and taking. But God here, he's, he's anti-religious. You are given to give. You see, Isaac himself was a gift. He wasn't conceived humanly. But more specifically, the ram, God providing the sacrifice for himself. You are given to give. God himself provides the substitute. And you see our author is really uh, making this point. Uh, look down to verse 14 again. He provides us an editorial comment uh, for future readers of, of this book. As it is said to this day, on the mounts of the Lord, it shall be provided. Uh, Mount Moriah, some of you will know that this is the same place where the Jerusalem temple was built. Uh, the same place that the Lord provided the ram in place of Isaac. And so the temple was built on the foundation of this principle. The Lord will provide the sacrifice for himself. And so it, would be no, it should be no surprise to any Israelite when, when they heard John the Baptist's words speaking about Jesus, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the Lord has provided the sacrifice for himself, his beloved son, and the foundation from which we can draw to be wholeheartedly obedient to him. We can give because we are in debt. We can give because we have already been given. The Lord will provide for himself the sacrifice. But that's not the only outcome of Abraham's obedience. His obedience leads to the blessing of the whole world. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. 
and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, it was one man's disobedience to not listen to God's voice, but to listen to the voice of the enemy, the serpent. It was one man's disobedience that led to the world falling under the curses of the fall. But here, it's one man's obedience that ensures his offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. And it's one man's obedience in listening to God's voice, resulting in blessing for the nations. And so what's the lesson here? Well, it's the same lesson that we, we thought about from all the way back in chapter 12. Uh, see, on the backdrop of the world under the weight of the curses, hope for this broken world can only be found in the promise. Uh, the promise to Abraham and his offspring, namely Jesus, and through him shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And there we have it. Uh, we have come to the end of the main Abraham narrative. See, the next three, three chapters, they function as an epilogue presenting Abraham as someone as a mature man of faith as he lives out his last few years. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hear your reflections um, from this series, but a few thoughts on application as we draw to a close. Uh, you see, the Abraham narrative uh, is both programmatic and also paradigmatic. Uh, programmatic in that it sets in motion the, the search for the offspring that will bless the nations, the one whom the whole Old Testament is searching for, and the one whom the New Testament authors identify as Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and the one who ultimately brings the Abraham, Abrahamic blessing of forgiveness to the nations. So it's programmatic that it sets in motion this great search for the offspring. But his story is also paradigmatic in that it sets an example for us to follow. And so we need to ponder whether, like Abraham, will we obey God's voice? Uh, like I mentioned at the start, we all face various trials, some really significant one, some simple day-to-day -day decisions. But in each and every one, will we obey God's voice? Because we have far more reason to obey than Abraham. I mean, we've learned the lessons he's learned and more. See, like Abraham, we know that God is the creator and the life giver and the one who can raise the dead. Uh, we know with Abraham that God has provided a sacrifice. And we know that he has a heart for the nations and he longs to bless them. But we know more than Abraham. See, we know in a, in a fully opt way that God provides for himself the lamb for a sacrifice. See, God provides himself for himself as a sacrifice. See, God, he pins himself to a wooden cross to give us life. And so as we, we think about the cross in the next couple of weeks, uh, John chapter 18 to 20, uh, we fully explore the implications of what Abraham is saying here. Uh, God providing himself for himself as a sacrifice. And I hope today as well uh, will be good motivation to consider what Rachel was sharing earlier. 
Of course, um, organizing an event for your colleagues or your friends isn't the only way to, to share the good news about Jesus. But it's an it is an opportunity for us to put in practice all that we've been learning from Genesis over the past few months. Um, I'm, I'm fully aware how challenging it can be to, to speak up about Jesus and sound like a fool. But it's possible to be a fool after you realize what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus. Well, some of you um, would have heard about C.T. Studd. Uh, I've only heard about him for the first time over this weekend. Well, C.T. Studd, uh, born in North Hampshire, 1860, uh, born to a wealthy family, excelled in his studies, representing England. Um, oh, rep he also excelled in his cricket. He represented England in the Ashes. And when his brother became terminally ill, he realized that playing cricket would not make impact on people's lives. So he gave all of that up to be a missionary in China, but not only in China, but also in Africa and India. And what motivated him to such radical obedience? And here's one of his famous quotes. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You see, he understands what Abraham understands, that God has provided himself as the lamb. Uh, he has sacrificed himself for us and we have been given to give. Well, most, most of us wouldn't be quitting our jobs and going overseas. Um, although I, well, sincerely pray that maybe one of, one of two of you might. Uh, but for all of us here, uh, we know that Jesus has died for us the sacrifice that he has provided. And hence, no sacrifice can be too great for us to make for him. And why don't I pray as we close and we have a chance for questions and reflections. Father, we praise you for all that we've been learning uh, from Abraham. We praise you that today we, we catch a glimpse of the Lord Jesus in that he, he Abraham recognized that you would provide a sacrifice for yourself. We praise you that we have come to see that in full clarity uh, when the Lord Jesus hung himself to that cross, being that sacrifice who has taken away the sins of this world. So we praise you for him. And as a result, Father, will you help us to obey your voice? In Jesus' name, amen.